Welcome to the Heathen History Podcast, where we look at the good, the bad, and the downright bizarre of the modern heathen movement. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ben. And this week, we are going to talk about someone who is probably the most infamous heathen in the modern era. I think infamous is a good word for him, don't you? Yeah, that would seem to sum it up pretty well. So we are going to be talking about Dan Halloran, Theodsman. City councilman in New York City, state senate candidate, mm-hmm. criminal, sexual harasser. What else am I missing? It's a lot. So buckle in. Yeah, he's had quite a quite a career. So buckle in, folks. It's going to be a fun ride. All right. And first of all, I want to thank the Wild Hunt. When I was doing the outline for the show, they have a very extensive archive on his political career specifically, and it was invaluable in helping me hunt down other sources that were able to tell me even more. So we'll just go. All right. So thank you, Wild Hunt. Yes. Did I ever tell you I wrote a Christmas carol about them? It went, you know, Wodan, who leads the Wild Hunt, has a very shiny spear, and if you ever see it, you will soon be dead, I fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that one. Okay. All right. I mean, I know it's it's September as we're recording this, but, you know, Yuletide is closer than you think. Yes. So, starting out, mm-hmm. Dan Halloran was born in Queens, New York in 1971 on March the 16th. He says he was raised in a traditional Irish household. He was an Eagle Scout. And in the late 80s, 1989 to 90, he went to Fordham University on the honors program He majored in anthropology and criminal justice, and he was also a U.S. Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps Scholarship recipient. So in 1990, he he leaves college and joins the New York City Police Department. So he goes to the police academy, becomes a police cadet, and then he's assigned to the 109th Police Precinct Community Patrol Program when he graduates. Hmm. Idly wonder, do we know anything about why he left Fordham U? Did he decide he didn't want to be an Air Force officer or? I'm not sure. There's no, like, that. that's a question that I tried to find the answer to and could never find anything. A lot of this information comes from his official campaign biographies. I don't think it was anything that was necessarily politically motivated. Like, you know, my brother was stabbed by a, what's in, you know. Mm-hmm, right. Now, we'll say he has two brothers, and both of his brothers were at one point New York City firefighters. Mm-hmm. So, but, like, there was nothing, whatever it was, it was nothing, nothing that was ever published. All right. So, in 1992, he leaves the NYPD for a, a private security firm called Ogden Allied Security. They apparently have a, a lot of business with government contracts. He ends up promoted to uh, Department of Defense contract supervisor, and this frankly scares the pants off of me, cleared to secret by the U.S. Department of Defense. So that's not quite top secret, but it ain't nothing either. No. So in 97, he leaves that and goes back to school. He gets his Bachelor's of Arts in History and Anthropology from City University of New York, graduated with honors. All right. Yeah, he is a very smart guy. 
And that's kind of a, an interesting note I will put here. This is someone we're talking about that Ben and I have both met. Mm-hmm. Like we have both stood in symbol with this guy. So yeah, we'll get there. So he almost finishes his master's in arts in archaeology, including doing field research in County Cork, Ireland on the archaeology of the Norman and Viking periods and their impact on Germanic and Brayan common law. And his campaign website or his archive campaign materials claim that he published papers in several archaeological and anthropological journals on the Germanic origins of the common law and on Indo-European roots of legal systems and community formation in Viking Europe, which sounds really good. But I went to the academic journal database, JSTOR, and went to academia.edu and a couple of other sites, and I wasn't able to track down anything published on any of those topics or anything close under the name Dan Halloran or Dan O'Halloran or Daniel O'Halloran or any permutation thereof. So I can't confirm that he ever published any of those. Now, JSTOR doesn't contain absolutely everything, so maybe he published in some obscure journals, but I was not able to find any of these writings. I couldn't find them on Google Scholar either. Right. So after that, he abandons his master's degree to go to law school, Mm -hmm. ends up getting his JD, his Juris Doctor, for those who don't know what that is, in 2000 from St. John's University School of Law. And uh, just a fun little note, he is a vigil honor of the Boy Scouts of America and is a member of the National Eagle Scout Association. Or let me rephrase that, was at the time that he was elected to city council, because once again, that came from his campaign site. Okay, right. So before becoming Theodish, Halloran was part of the General Ausatru community in New York City. And served for a time as one of the directors of a program called Irmansol Aitir, together with Susan Granquist. They had, I think I'm still listed on there, they had at one time a networking website. Oh, we're both still on there. Okay. Yeah, I, I probably ought to take that down given that I'm no longer you know, steward of Arkansas for the troth, but I still occasionally will get a contact that way. I don't even know that that you could get it taken down at this point because it has like I'm listed on there from when before I met you. Wow. That's how old that is. And that I guess Ben and I met in 2002. Yeah, 2002. So. Wow, we're old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, I think that would be that might be 2003 because that was the that was the year I I became a steward. Anyway. It's been mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the point where we can't remember just how long it's been. That tells you something. Yeah. That's – yeah. Anyway, so Halloran is part of the general Ossetru community in New York City and gets involved with the Theodish community. And I want to go back here and recap a little bit about what Theodish belief is. And just a note, go back an episode. Go back. Right. <laughs> In our previous episode, we talked about Garmin Lord, who essentially founded Theodish Belief. And after beginning as a rather um, interesting offshoot of Wicca and going through various trials and tribulations and naked people dancing in the attic and things like that, 
more or less classic theodish belief had taken shape by the mid 90s, roughly 1995. So what exactly is theodish belief? Well, theod is old English for tribe and Garmin Lord was attempting to recreate what he called retro heathenry, meaning that it's not just, hey, I've found out about these gods, I'm going to worship them in whatever way I can come up with, but it's attempting to reconstruct the ancient mindset as closely as possible. And he wrote a lot about this in an article published in Iduna back in 1993 called The Undiscovered Retro Heathenry, whereas he wrote, it seeks to soundly reforge an ancestral link severed by the white Christ as if the white Christ never happened and go its merry way from there. So basically trying to just kind of fast forward through roughly 1,500 years and pick up where we left off and rebuild the ancient mindset as much as possible and rebuild the ancient practices as much as possible. So what are those? Well, they include this concept of something called thu, which is basically tribal custom. Nobody ever writes it down. It's simply just the way we do things around here. And after having seen some theodish rituals and talked with a number of prominent theodesmen in my day, although not Garmin, I haven't met him, but having talked with people like the Wodenings and Dano, I've come to the conclusion that theodish belief is basically a way to take a bunch of upstate New Yorkers and turn them into Southerners. Because Lauren, as you well know, if you grow up in the South, you grow up knowing very well that there are some things that you do and some things that you just don't do. And you also know your place in the social strata. Exactly. You know who is above you, who is below you. You know that one simply does not make chicken salad with dark meat or wear white shoes before Easter. My mother was really big on this. She tried to make it instinctual in me, and I still will do this. If you're walking beside a lady, the man walks on the outside so that he gets splashed by mud from passing carriages <laughs> and not the woman's hoop skirts. A lot of this turned out not to be particularly useful in daily life, but that's the thing. Thew is just the knowledge that there is a way we do things and a way we don't do things, and nobody ever fully writes it down. It's just something that you are born understanding. And which kind of leads into like the way that they operate where if you want to join, you essentially – the idea is you sell yourself via a lucky penny into thraldom, which is just another word for slavery. And during that time period is when you are supposed to be taught through by the person you sell yourself into thraldom to. Right. And you're also supposed to learn it by careful observation because you get to do the heavy work at feasts and gatherings and things like that. This sounds like – I'm not going to lie to you, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm back in college pledging a sorority when I hear about this. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or 
Garmin wrote somewhere that, you know, in Theodish belief, you needed to go through a stage where they broke you down a little bit and rebuilt you into thinking differently, similar to uh, basic training in the military, right? You don't just go in and start immediately training on how to drive a, a, a tank or something like that. Basic training is supposed to get you into mind habits and ways of thinking and acting that civilians don't normally learn. And I think the idea was the same. There's a lot of groups that do this sort of thing, and it's not necessarily evil, but I do wish they could have come up with a different word for it than thrall. Yeah, I mean, Wicca, when you go through the degree system in a a traditional British witchcraft coven, you start out as a dedicant and you do it. It's all very similar. If you join any kind of fraternal order, you go through that. It's a very much, I hate to use the word initiatory, but that's really the best phrase I can come up for it. I'm not mm-hmm. about like, I'm not talking about like a cultic initiatory. I mean, like membership based initiatory, like a sorority or fraternity, fraternal society, but also a lot of pagan groups, even our own kindred. Before someone can fully oath into our kindred, we want to spend a year really getting to know them, making sure that they have the basic fundamentals of heathenry down. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, for us, it's to allow them to make an educated decision as well to, you know, screen out the weirdos that aren't as, that are weirder than us, which that's pretty hard to be weirder than us, but still. Some people manage the trick. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, the difference is that we don't force our probationary members to do the dishes at every meeting. No, usually not. Yeah, we're pretty much capable of doing our own. So the thralls are the only people that are outside of this hierarchical organization that's held together by what's called the web of oaths. Every free, non-thrall member of the theodes swears fealty to someone of higher rank And some of the Theodes got very elaborate systems of ranks indeed. But if you were a free man, a churl, you swore an oath to a thane who would swear an oath to a lord. And at the top of the whole downline is the king. And Garmin Lord had simply been calling himself Atheling. But at midsummer 1995, Garmin was raised on a shield and officially made the sacred king of the Theodish nation. And I actually have something that Dan O'Halloran gave me. This is a pretty rare publication by the Windland Richa. It's called the Midsummer 2001 Lesser Few Book. It's actually the program for a the Windland Richa's Midsummer Meeting in 2001. And there is... Lots of essays in it that I don't think are available anywhere else, and I'm holding it up to the mic right now so you can see it, but there's a little essay on what is a sacral king, and it says, The king, as in days of old, has many privileges and many responsibilities. He is the only one who has the right to raise the feared, or army. All guilds, fines, or taxes are set by the king and collected in the king's name, and up to half of any wear guild may go to the king. The king sets custom, or achta, by his deemings, or even by his whim, and his word needs no witness to be held good. 
The king is responsible for the sponsorship of every kind of useful craft and good works, and he is the living repository of the kingdom's luck. Should it appear that the king and thus his kingdom has lost its luck somehow, the Witan, that's the council of wise men, has the obligation to remove the king and replace him. Otherwise, the king may not be gainsaid in his word, that means contradicted, or attacked in his physical person, and any breach of the peace in his presence is a crime. So Garment had probably been going around singing, I just can't wait to be king. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Everybody look left, everybody look right. Everywhere you look, I'm standing on top of a shield. Sorry. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. I don't know that musical well enough to join in, or I would. But, uh, yeah, by uh, midsummer 1995, this is what uh, Garmin is. He's the sacral king, the head of the web of oaths, and the holder of the kingdom's luck. And by night, this time, he's starting to found other theodes. 1994, a gentleman I've met several times, Gerd Greenwald, who, when I knew him, was a uh, philosophy doctoral student at Yale, uh, founded the first non-Anglo-Saxon theode, the Fresena Rike, which concentrated on the lore of the Frisians. They're still a going concern. They now call themselves Axenhof Theod, and our friends the Culvers were, and maybe still are, members of Axenhof Theod for a long time. So, fast forward a little to spring 1997, mm -hmm. and Garmin Lord has made the decision to cut all connections with all other also true organizations, communication, everything. If you uh, go back to one of our early episodes, uh, the one we did live from Washington State, the uh, Theodish had been very much involved with troth business. Uh, beginning in about 1992 through 1995, a number of Theodesmen held office. Gert McQueen was on the Troth, uh, the Troth Reed. William West was briefly uh, the publisher, uh, the Shope, and he also published the first edition of our big book, Our Troth, of which the third edition is starting to come out right now. Hint, hint, hint. But there was a great deal of political turmoil in the Troth in 1994 and 1995. The Theodish folk blame Prudence Priest's style of leadership. Not having been there, I am hesitate to cast asparagus on anyone in particular. But suffice it to say that by about 1997, Garmin had pretty much had a belly full and decided to cut communications with the greater Ausatru community including breaking ties with folk in the Asatru community who were still friends. And one such friend of Garmin's was... A man who we've talked about who ran a national Austria organization named Dan Halloran. Mm-hmm. So June of 97, Garmin holds a mid-summer gathering at his home in Waterton, New York. And this was kind of seen as like a final goodbye. No one outside of the Riche knew that that the Riche had decided to cut itself, cut themselves off. Na, 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 what, 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 goodbye. Pretty much. It's old English, so you have to say what instead yeah. of hey. So there was a folk moot that was head in Garmin's backyard, 
And Dan was informed at that time that they, there was going to be this impending separation. So the Witten or the ruling council of the Riche, which we talk about in the last episode, made a decision to go ahead and offer Dan entry into the Riche and giving him a fairly high rank, essentially foregoing having to go through thraldom and uh, he would be placed under garment as his fosterling. A very small number of people were ever allowed to join the Winland Riche without going through thraldom. Dano was one of them. And what I've been told is that in all cases except for the Wodenings, it ended up working out rather badly. That there is, you know, for all outsiders get uncomfortable when they talk about thraldom, there is evidently a certain amount of acculturation that you need to have in order to function in Theotish society. Well, I, I look at it this way. To me, joining any kind of organization with this level of oathing, like a kindred or a Theod or whatever, you need to go through that period of kind of engagement, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. You need that right. period of time where you can get to know them and everyone can make an informed decision because it's real easy for somebody to hide being a jerk for six months mm -hmm. or hide being a predator or whatever if you only see them once or twice a year. Right. That's not so easy to do when you're constantly engaging someone. Like I said, we, our kindred does this as well. I fully believe that there needs to be that time of getting to know someone before you entangle them in your weird. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you know. I've watched kindreds that have brought people in way too quick and it never ends well. Right. So life advice from she who must be obeyed of black bear kindred. There we go. Darn right. So yes, your swimbo ship. That see, he knows, he knows. Mm -hmm. So Dan gets this super special position. He's going to get one-on-one -on -one tutoring from Garmin and with the idea that eventually he was going to go and form his own independent riche perhaps with himself as a sacral king. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this lasts up until Yule 1997, all of six months, when the incident happens. Once again, need at least a year. Proof right here in the pudding. Right. And then at Yule 1997, we come to the incident. Dan was accused of wrongdoing of a rather serious nature, the New York Post would later report that it was an act committed against a female thrall. We're not told exactly what it was, but it was serious enough that Garmin informed him that he would have to be fostered under someone else or else leave Theotish belief entirely. Now, Dan did stay on, and he was taken on by Jason Funawerd, I'm not sure what his mundane name is, but he did continue in the Windland Richa. I want to say that a lot of this particular part that we have comes from an article written for the Wild Hunt that was written by kind of an overview of his problematic behavior by people who were either former Theodos members or some current, including Joseph Block was one of the main authors on this. Right. So just to give you guys an idea of, like, what our sourcing is on this. Right. I have 
met Joseph Block once. We have some theological differences, but as far as I know, he is quite trustworthy. Trustworthy, yes. A little to the to the racist side, also, yes. <laughs> right. But I don't think he would make up stories about from whole cloth about Dan O'Halloran. And there's multiple people quoted in this particular article, and it's linked in our sources. So it's not just one person. So Midsummer 1998 rolls around. So basically a year after they've given him these special permissions, he's told he has to face proceedings. So he's giving a choice between leaving Theodish belief altogether or facing judgment. So he decides that he's going to face judgment. He's given a punishment, a fine, and a trial by ordeal. And his punishment was to be stripped to the waist and flogged 11 times. Ouch. Yeah. Well, you know, some people pay extra for that. (laughs) (laughs) So he faced Nick Ritter in ritual combat. If he won... He would be allowed to have his own following and work towards founding his own independent Theodish organization. And if he lost, he would be forbidden to doing those things. Right. And he lost. <laughs> but the score was close enough that Garmin decided in Dan's favor anyway. Makes me glad that Garmin is not a football referee. Would be like, okay, Saints, you beat the Falcons by a touchdown, but it was a good game. I'll give it to the Falcons anyway. So, yeah, after a period of six months, he was allowed to begin building uh, his own following. And by midsummer 1999, he was declared free of debt because he had paid the fine set against him. Garmin consulted with the Witan and declared that Dan was free of shield. Do you want to explain what shield is? So shield is an Anglo-Saxon word that kind of encompasses both guilt and debt. So to be free of shield basically meant he had paid his debts and because of he had done all these things, he had been then exonerated for those crimes. Whatever this crime, and that's the thing, whatever this crime was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, the way it reads, I'm kind of glad that the authors of the various articles that speak about this don't go into it because I would be afraid that the, the female in question might be at some point harassed or otherwise treated poorly. Right, right. As a woman who has experienced some things like that, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just stop there. If you know me personally, you can ask me about it. So Dan goes on and forms his own group. Ben, want to talk about that? Yes, he forms the Normani Fjolv Ok Rik. Slightly off Old Norse title right there. Let's just say New Normandy. And, wow, this makes me wonder that if uh, Dan ever looked at a female person in an unpleasant way, would this be a Norman Lear? Oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. Yeah, except I don't know. I don't know if our younger listeners will know who Norman Lear is. He was a TV producer. He produced uh, most of All in the Family, one of the biggest shows ever. Right. Anyway. So the Normani Fjolv Ok Rik is founded in either 1997 or 1999. We got conflicting information as to when that was. And both of those sources of conflicting information are from Dan Halloran. Let's just put that there. Ah, all right. And it's founded under fosterage of the Windland Riche. And 
again, this is something from Wicca that did carry over into Theotish belief. It's the concept of lineage in that, you know, you know your coven formed as a branch from such and such a coven, which came from such and such other coven, you know, going back to whenever your tradition was founded, possibly to, you know, Gerald Gardner's first. That's right. And as a Wiccan, you should be able, I can actually recite, or I could, I don't think I can now, I could actually recite my entire lineage all the way back to Gerald Gardner when you're initiated, when I was initiated. And so it's interesting. So in 2002, that's when they actually incorporate into a legitimate, like New York state organization as the new Normani rake of Theodish belief. Mm -hmm. And then by October 22nd, 2001, they formally have left the Windland Reacha. They are now not under Windland Reacha's fosterage and Dan doesn't owe fealty directly to Garmin but he still is oath to uphold Theodism and Theodish Thu in general. I should mention that I believe a couple of years later, Garmin published a book, and I've got a copy of it, and no, you can't have it. I've seen it being offered for sale for a lot of money because you can't find it now. It's called The Way of the Heathen, which was basically everything that you needed to know to form your own Theodish group that wouldn't be under the umbrella of the Windland Reacha. Garmin called this greater theodism. And there were a number of greater theodish groups for a while that were doing what, you know, the Windland Reacha did, but weren't linked to them by this web of oaths. Groups that are descended from the Windland Reacha and that do or did owe fealty to Garmin Lord are collectively called high theodism. So the Phrygian, Rika, the uh, now Axentov Theod, and the uh, Normani Reik, those are high theodish groups. And there would go on to be a couple of others. There was another one at the time as well in Pennsylvania, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. I came across it in my reading, but it didn't go in the notes because they're already so long. (laughs) Yeah. For a time, there was even the beginnings of a... uh, a uh, gothic kingdom under the the Windland Reacha. I think I met those guys once. Uh, they wore a lot of black and had very pale skin and were chanting something about love will tear us apart. Yeah, but they weren't even there when we sacked Rome. Exactly. How? What kind of goths can they be if they weren't there when they, they sacked Rome? Anyway, so Dan writes a document trying to define what it means to be Theodish, and it's called the Affirmation of Thu. A fair amount of this would get published later in the second edition of Our Troth, and it talks about what he calls the three rings of Thu. They're these interlocking principles that one is supposed to adopt, and this is really the first time that anybody has tried to write down a codification of Thu. Remember that Thu is not law. Thu is the way things are supposed to be done around here. And traditionally, it's never written down. It's just the kind of thing you're supposed to know. And Garmin really does not like the fact that Dan is trying to pin down what Thu is, because that basically means he's trying to pin down what it means to be properly Theodish. And the intent of the document would be to bring all the Theodish groups under one overarching authority. 
which, you know, philosophically, Garmin Lore did not like one bit. You know, this is not supposed to be written down. This is orally transmitted tradition, uh, not written law. Now, the king can make written law. It's called an abaning in Feodish speak, but that's not the same as Thu. So Dan gets mad, and on May 22nd, 2002, Dan declares his group is no longer in Thu with Winland Riche. Essentially, he's saying he and Garmin were not of the same religious community, so then Garmin outlaws Dan from Theodism. Right. So, yeah, to be in Thu with a group means that you're aligned with it and you follow its rules. And if you are out of Thu, that doesn't mean that they hate you necessarily. I mean, you could be, you know, a friend from another tradition or something like that, but you're not one of them. To be out of Thu is to be ain't from around here, is ya? So what you're saying is Dan went, forget Thu. Not bad. What's the original? Uh, forget you by CeeLo. Oh, okay. All right. I see you're riding down here with the things we do, and I'm like, forget Thu. Are you sure the title of that is Forget Thu? It's Forget You. You sure it's Forget? Uh, that's the Radio Clean version. I see. I yeah, see. I, I, see. I don't want to. Okay. S- I, I like us not being rated mature on iTunes. So what can I say? Okay, fine. All right. Meanwhile, Dan has been a member of the Troth for all this time. Before the big breakup, Dan was one of the first crop of stewards. As early as 1993, he was the steward of New York. By 1995, he was high steward but was removed from office for reasons never made clear to me that seemed to have to do with Prudence Priest's whims in 1995. I don't think he was removed for cause. There was a surprising amount of suspicion in some circles of the troth back in 94 and 95 against the Theodish because they were doing a lot. They were writing a great deal. They were holding high office. You know, they were Theodish on the read and publishing, you know, Iduna for a time. You know, Dano was a steward, although I guess he technically wasn't Theodish at the time. And there was a faction that really was concerned about that. Iduna number 24 was actually kind of a Theodish special issue. And Iduna 25 contained a lot of communications from people who were freaked out about that. So this is the time when a number of prominent people get the sack for reasons that have never been made clear. Prudence Priest allegedly tries to take over the training program set up by the Wodening brothers and uh, basically ditching the uh, elder and clergy program that the Troth already had. The Wodenings didn't let that happen. And so, yeah, Dan is removed from office in 1995, but very soon after, Prudence is too. He does go on to become an elder. Uh, He published his elder thesis in several issues of Iduna. I've read it. That's one of the things that makes me really wonder about just how close he really did come to getting a master's degree 
because there's a lot of outdated information in there and a lot of scholarship that probably doesn't really come up to academic standards in there. Bless his heart. Well, for for one thing, he holds on to the idea that the Indo-Europeans actually came from Germany. Oh. Yeah, if you go back to one of our earlier episodes, you'll find out that no, in fact, they didn't. But he retained his elder credential and his clergy credential. And by the time I got to meet him, first time was in 2003 at my first Troth moot, he was serving at the Troth's general council, the Troth's you know, lawyer, which he served pro bono. And meeting him at this time, he was very much a politician. And I don't necessarily mean that badly, but he was very impressive. He was very good at glad-handing people. We had a full three-round sumble with nearly probably 80 people at that particular troth moot, and he added another hour to it because he brought this trunk of sumble gifts, and everybody got something. Oh, yes. I got a book. Other people got bracelets. Everybody got something, and it was great, except the whole dog and pony show took an hour, and the sumble was you know, going very long as it was. But he was like that. He was very glad-handy, always smiling, always grinning, always, you know, being a, a hail-fellow-well-met sort of person, always trying to tell you exactly what you wanted to hear. I've met, well, I've never met Bill Clinton, but I'm told that by people who have met him, that he has this incredible personal magnetism and can work a room like nobody, and he has this way of talking to you just like you were the most important thing in the universe. So as someone who, A, has met Bill Clinton multiple times, I went to high school with Chelsea Clinton's best friend. Right. Has met several other politicians in my previous life as a talk radio host. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty appropriate. And I would say that to my, I have the same impression of him, but... I'm going to tell a little story here that a friend of mine relayed to me. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to out this particular woman. But she is a very beautiful woman who was at Trothmoot, a later Trothmoot he was at. And he gifted her this bracelet that he claimed was amber. It did really. Mm-hmm. So she gets it. I can't remember if she got it wet from perfume or from water, but it started melting. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. It was some sort of like Chinese plastic knockoff. Mm -hmm. And I laughed when she told me the story because I'm like, that is the most, that describes him in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Like I walked away with that impression of him having that background of being someone who has dealt with politicians and stuff. That That's how he was very slick, very slick. Yeah, they called Bill Clinton Slick Willie for a reason. He was Slick Danny. Slick Danny. Hey, I like that. Yeah, the book that he gave me turned out to be a um, probably a printer's reject. The block of text was printed catty corner to the actual pages. I mean, still a good book, and I, you know, I was certainly not expecting that I was going to get like a complete leather-bound edition of all the sagas or something like that. But yeah, some of those gifts were just a little bit like fairy gold. He was giving wish dot com gifts before wish dot com. <laughs> 
Exactly. We didn't have Wish back then, but yes, a number of his gifts were very, very Wish-ish. So I will say that in all of the of my female heathen friends I've spoken to who were around during this period, especially those that were young and rather pretty, mm-hmm. he was very, very kind and very attentive to those kind of people. I, I, that's all I'm going to say. Right. It's foreshadowing a little, but he was like, yeah, and he was very much a politician. And you kind of want to say he was an elder. The elder program we have now in the troth is a completely different than it was back then. It was like an, it was almost like a, you've completed a educational program. Right. You had to write a thesis and have it approved by the other elders. It was, you know, basically an attempt to do a master's level graduate program. Not very many people ever completed that. And now it's become more of an honorary title. And we happen to have an, a very special elder on the program right now that isn't me. It's Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I managed to get named as an elder without hardly doing anything. Oh, that, yeah. So here's the thing from two. Oh, wait, can I sing the elder song? Hello. Hello. My name is Elder Ben. I have a book to change your life. It's called the Hava Mall. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we sang that way too much when we went to Seattle a few years ago. So when Ben was named an elder. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. You two can be like Odin and get stabbed with a spear. <laughs> From 2002 to 2009, there's not much out there. I have looked. I have dug. Ben has looked. He was pretty quiet. That's the best I can tell. There's going to be some more stuff that comes out later. But for the most part, it looks like he was practicing law. Mm-hmm. He was running his little kingdom. Right. He was he was showing up at Trothmoots to do whatever legal business needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Not all of them at this time period, but most of them, as I recall, although he didn't wasn't always able to stick around. And I just got the impression that he was very busy running his law practice and serving as, you know, first Etheling of New Normandy and doing his Norman thing. Which Etheling, of course, means prince. Right. However, 2009, Dan Halloran goes from being, I would say, a moderately big name heathen in some circles to an international name because he decides to run for the New York City Council District 19, which represents Queens against Democrat Kevin Kim. And as Dan was very quick to point out at this time, because I remember him making this point repeatedly, New York City council members may have – depends on the district, I think, but they may oversee a larger population and have a bigger budget than some, you know, members of the U.S. Congress. You know, New York is big and many of the districts are very populous. And they've got quite a large budget. It's a much bigger responsibility, certainly comparable with the responsibility that you would have as a U.S. representative. He probably oversaw more people than like the representative from Wyoming. Right. So, yeah, this is a big deal. And I don't think he would be the first pagan in the broad sense ever elected to office, but he was certainly one of the first. And probably the highest ranking office, as far as I know, to this day. And I do believe there has been someone who's outed him in Canada, upped him in Canada, that was elected to provincial government. Right. But that's still, 
a pretty new one. And it's a big deal. So pretty quickly, the Queen's Tribune outs him as being Theodish. Like that happens within a few weeks of his announcing his campaign. Because he forgot to take his website down, there are pictures all over the net of him wearing his blue cloak and raising a horn and doing various uh, Theodish-y things. So, yeah, it was not difficult to find out what his religious predilection was. Now, he was very much a Tea Party-style Republican. Mm-hmm. But the Queen's GOP, in spite of his religion, continued to endorse him. They did consider replacing him with a conservative named Paul Vallone. He was a conservative Democrat. But eventually they just decided that, okay, we're going to roll with this. And Mm -hmm. during his campaign, he was very cagey about his faith. He says right here in a quote, Last week I was attacked for my faith in the Queen's Tribune. These attacks happen on the eve of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the holiest time of the year for the Jewish people. Having been raised a Catholic household that shares the religious roots with the Jewish faith, I was deeply offended that religion would be used for political gain. I am a man of faith, and now my faith is under attack by a newspaper working for my opponent. Okay. That drew the attention of the Village Voice, which published an article called Grand Old Pagan with a really outrageous cartoon. No, that's the second one that has the cartoon. Oh, that's the second one. Okay. Yeah, this one is the one that comes out in, I think after he's arrested, is the one that has the cartoon and everything. Okay, gotcha. So it asks the question, what does the Republican heathen running for New York City Council actually believe? And it's a well-researched article. Thrasher did his homework and talked to experts on paganism like Selena Fox and Margot Adler who recently passed. Uh, she wrote the book on modern paganism, Drawing Down the Trousers. Drawing Down the Moon. Oh, sorry. Right. Drawing Down the Moon. Don't we know somebody who was quoted in that book? Uh, yeah. She actually left Ausatrue completely out of the first edition because she was turned off by the white supremacist vibe that it had, but did include it in the second edition and talk to more people for the third edition, including yours truly. So I'm actually in there. Circa, that came out in 2008, if memory serves. But he does, I don't know, there was some sketchy stuff in there, and I, I read all of it. None of these articles are still available, but I did pull up the web archive version of these is in the show notes. So it included these things, but it also seemed to kind of tie Halloran to some of the darker elements of racist Odinism and paganism and included quotes from Rob Red Alert's Taylor that tried to really increase the schism that had started growing between Wicca and Reconstructionist pagans. Ben, I'm going to let you read the, the quote from Taylor there because I already, yeah, I'll let you read that one. Taylor is quoted as saying, Wiccans and Reconstructionist pagan religions engage in infighting. Wicca is just smearing the competition. Taylor initially came to paganism as a teenager via Wicca, but the young Reaganite soon turned to Odinism. Odinism's rules and order appealed to his conservative nature, while Wicca he now describes as a, quote, fraud and, quote, a leftist thing 
not just Democrat, but far left politically. Theodism and heathenism are more conservative. So, yeah, there's that. So the guy is, you know, finding a crack and putting a wedge in. But the end result is Halloran defeats his opponent by 1,300 votes and is uh, sworn in. After the election, it came out that his opponent had been using his religion to smear him, but it didn't work. And Halloran is sworn in. I, Daniel J. Howard III, I, Daniel J. Howard III, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear that I will uphold and defend the constitutions of the United States and the state of New York. I will uphold and defend the constitutions of the state of New York and the United States of America. And faithfully fulfill the duties, faithfully fulfill the duties of a member of the New York City Council. As a member of the New York City Council. So he gets involved with the Tea Party, this group of you know very loud conservative Republicans that sprouted up pretty much in the wake of Obama's election. By March 2010, there was a growing call to oust state representative Gary Ackerman. In May 2010, Halloran said he wouldn't run for Congress. But clearly he is moving in these very conservative circles. And in June of 2010, we get the first sign of trouble because Dan O'Halloran accuses a traffic enforcement agent of parking illegally at a donut shop and running stop signs. Because, you know, I'd rather get between a mama grizzly bear and her cups than get between a former New York police officer and a donut shop. You know, that's just asking for trouble right there. So this was an interesting thing. There used to be, and I remember watching it. So Dan actually took video of this guy. And the video used to be online on YouTube, but I went to the link I had bookmarked for it because, you know, I still have bookmarks from like 20 years ago, apparently. And the video had been removed. And I don't know if it was taken down because of legal proceedings or what, but The video used to be on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but sadly it was not. But the officer then proceeded to write him a ticket. So the NYPD comes back with all of these allegations that Halloran had basically parked it all legally all over town. Apparently had a school zone ticket in January and accused of other incidents of abusing his city council placards at hotels and other standing only zones. Now, for those of you who've never been to New York City, don't. Like, parking is a nightmare. People literally pay more money for off-street parking than they do for rent. And parking in a standing-only zone like that is, like, a huge, huge no-no. Like, they'll ticket anybody, almost, except apparently city council people, for parking there. Right. There have been cases of cops ticketing other cops in standing-only zones. Mm Mm-hmm. But oddly enough, the judge tossed the ticket and ordered the officer that had written the ticket back to training. So, so far, our boy is getting away with this scot-free. And then comes the Park 51 controversy. There was a plan to develop a Muslim community center similar to a YMCA. I guess you'd have to call it a YMMA at 4751 Park Place two blocks from the former site of the World Trade Center. This was called a mosque, but it was technically never planned to be one 
It was going to contain a communal prayer room, but it was meant to be a community center, not actually a mosque. That didn't stop Halloran from speaking out at a rally called the Coalition to Honor Ground Zero in an effort to stop uh, the building of the Muslim Community Center. As he said, if we want a nation of peace, then peace comes with understanding, and they need to understand that this is sacred ground to New Yorkers. Would World War II veterans stand for a Shinto temple to be built on the Arizona Memorial? Absolutely not. The greatest generation would never stand for something like that. And it has nothing to do with tolerance. In fact, if you remember, just a few years before the 9-11 attacks, we heard about Danish cartoonists who had problems. Jihads and fatwas declared because of political cartoons. Political cartoons. And in a fit of PC, many in the United States, including the liberal press, condemned those journalists who supported the First Amendment. How ironic that they can now tell us that we have no right to the indignity of 411 dead first responders and 4,000 Americans who perished simply because they got up and went to work on September 11th, 2001. Many of Hagen leaders responded pretty negatively to this and other New York City leaders and spoke out. Wild Hunt contributor KW, an in New York City black pagan, wrote, just to put the hallowed ground arguments into some perspective here, here are some of the things I've walked by every Wednesday in order to get to the World Trade Center site. All are either within three block radius or right across. Numerous falafel stands, Sephora, Century 21, Men's Warehouse, numerous phone stores, a Starbucks, a church, a strip club, and a really good French restaurant. If this site is such hallowed ground, why are these establishments allowed to coexist yet an Islamic center is not? Yeah, a strip club by the World Trade Center? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I'm thinking of a whole bunch of jokes that I really don't think I can tell. So let's just leave that observation right where it lies. Make your own joke. Right. So now the uh, parking enforcement begins to take its revenge when parking enforcement officer Daniel Chu files a $2 million slander lawsuit against Halloran and the city of New York, claiming that Halloran made fun of his Chinese background and threatened his job. No sooner do we have that than there is a blizzard of a controversy because the story was going around that streets were uncleared after a blizzard on December 26th. They called it the snowdown. Right. Which year would this be? This would be December of 2010. Or 2009, excuse me. All right. So sanitation workers were deliberately staging a work slowdown, so the streets were not getting cleared after the blizzard. Halloran claimed that five city workers had come to his office and told him that they had been ordered to take part in the slowdown in order to embarrass Mayor Michael Bloomberg. But again, there was little evidence to back up the claims. And at about the same time, Halloran is in trouble because the New York Times is uncovering the fact that he is financially in deep doo-doo. Wells Fargo began foreclosing on their home in January 2010 in November of 2010, 
Halloran's wife filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, seeking to wipe away over $110,000 in credit card debt while retaining their home and a 2005 Jag. I'm trying to think of snarky comments here, but I think that pretty much snarks itself. Yeah, and so in all this, the lawsuit is still going. I dug through court records. I dug through everything. I cannot find what the outcome was to that court case where he was being sued. I saw that Chu settled with the city of New York, but I never saw what happened with him. I don't know that if it just got dismissed, they dropped it because of what's coming up. I don't know. I looked through court records. I looked on the various and a sundry, and I just couldn't find it. So the outcome of that is weird. Uh, the snowdown controversy got him a lot of attention. And so it's relatively quiet after this until November 30th of 2011. The Village Voice publishes America's Top Heathen, which for you young folks, there was this really popular TV show going at the time called America's Top Model, and that's the reference. Right. This is the one that has the really ugly cartoon of Halloran in his robe, right? Yes. It's the first real public criticism that we see of the media of heathenry and theodish belief. We have an extensive interview with Cassandra Christofferson, who was one of the earliest members of New Normandy. She called out what she thought was hypocrisy in Halloran's donations to a ton of religious groups except pagan ones and his sudden turn on anti-abortion stance in spite of his private pro-choice theological statements. And uh, there's actually a quote here from a Yahoo group. <laughs> Feel old yet, Ben? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, thing is that also true and – I guess probably Anglo-Saxon heathenry as well, although I don't think we know as much about it, practiced exposure of unwanted infants, a newborn that the father didn't want to raise or that might be too much difficulty to raise could just be abandoned outside. There's no real mandate in the old lore that says that, you know, unborn life is particularly sacred and Dano, probably shouldn't call him that, but I keep calling him that, wrote on Yahoo groups that the lore is fairly well established here. This is a quote. The soul complex does not attach to the fetus until the naming, three to nine days after birth. If it attached before the naming, it would be impossible for the fetch or luck to manifest in the manner described or attributed to naming in the Ausavatni. That's the Old Norse expression for the sprinkling of water, a rite superficially like baptism, but actually spiritually quite different and called by a different term. Yeah, so Dano makes it fairly clear that you're not a paid-up member of the human species until you've been named, and the naming takes place Supposedly nine days after birth, although I've actually looked in the sagas and I can't find a case, at least in Icelandic practice, where that nine-day limit is retained. They just, you know, someone has a baby and the baby is sprinkled with water and given its name. But yeah, theologically, Dan was consistent with the lore that we've got in being, you know, very pro-choice. 
You're not going to get very far in conservative Republican circles, however, if you're not pro-life. And Cassandra Christofferson called out Halloran's hypocrisy or what she saw as hypocrisy in donating to religious groups and turning to anti-abortion stances. And I will say the author of this piece, who is the same author of the previous piece that was written on him, I've read it. And please, if you get a chance, go look. It was covered pretty extensively in The Wild Hunt, but also it was like I've read the article. He takes some pretty bigoted swipes at heathenry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we can kind of poke fun at about a lot of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, you know, this author very much belittled heathenry in this article. And I don't care your personal feelings on Dan Halloran. It was a very, I thought it was a a rather offensive article. Reading it at the time and reading it now. Yeah, it, it made us all look pretty ridiculous, frankly. We do that well enough on our own. We don't need help. Mm-hmm. Right. So right after this article comes out, and by the way, we keep calling him Dano, and there's a reason because that's what literally everyone called him in heathen circles. So right. Ben keeps saying it. I keep saying it. That's what everyone called him. It's not a – I'm not trying to be – like we're not trying to be flippant. That's – it's habit. That's what we all called him. Mm-hmm. Well, remember – I. I mentioned that at Sumble, uh, he gave me a book. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's because someone turned to him and pointed at me and said, book him, Dano. Wah, wah. Yeah, you younger readers won't get that at all. That's a uh, quote from an old TV show called Hawaii Five O. So actually, Hawaii Five O has been reborn on CBS in the past few years. Oh, OK. All right. I wouldn't know. I only know because my parents watch a lot of CBS. Right. So December 2011, right after this article comes out, he starts thinking about running for state Senate. And in March 2012, Dan Ackerman, who was the person who was in that Senate seat, announces his retirement. And so in the 25th of March 2012, Queen's Republican Party endorsed Councilman Daniel J. Halloran III as the congressional candidate in the new district that had just been created that was carved out of the one represented by Gary Ackerman. And so basically, you know, he's now going to run for state Senate in New York City. And almost immediately, he comes out swinging against his Jewish opponent, claiming that his opponent is not following his faith. Wait, so he told somebody, he told his Jewish opponent, you're not doing it right? He did. Dude, we're allowed to tell each other you're not doing that right. But, you know, telling people of following other religions that they're not doing that right, that's just not kosher. Oh, I thought maybe he was telling him, but you gotta have faith. You gotta have faith. We're on a roll tonight. What can I say? And he says, unfortunately, his voting record does not match his personal commitment to his faith. He was on the opposite side of gay marriage, opposite side of abortion, and the opposite side on the issues of school vouchers and tax credits and incentives for those who use private schools to educate our young children. Oh. All right. 
So it helped his campaign, however, that that year in July, uh, the father of his opponent was arrested in a bribery case. And on August, in August of 2012, he made a trip to Israel and got very extensive coverage there. His district has a sizable Jewish population. He was running in New York's 6th Congressional District, and his trip included meetings with Israeli leaders and stops in places in Jerusalem. Halloran had criticized Democrats and President Obama for their approach to the U.S. relationship with Israel. So clearly Dan is you know, trying to buff his resume just a little bit. Just a little bit. Unfortunately. Yeah, so... The next year, on April 2nd, 2013, Dan Halloran, along with State Senator Malcolm Smith, were arrested on charges of wire fraud and bribery. Mm -hmm. He said, and I quote, Halloran actually said in the complaint, that's politics, that's politics, it's all about how much. Not about whether or will, it's about how much, and that's our politicians in New York. They're all like that, all like that. And they get like that because of the drive that money does everything else. You can't do anything without the effing money. I, I can hear his voice when you when you say that. I know exactly what he would have sounded like. Yeah. So he was found guilty in federal court of arranging the bribery. And by the way, I'm reading this verbatim for a reason because I literally copied and pasted these exact words because I wanted to get it correctly from press releases from the district attorney. He was found guilty in federal court of arranging the bribery of New York City Republican leaders to allow New York State Senator Malcolm Smith, a Democrat, to run as a Republican candidate for the New York City mayor in 2013. In addition, Halloran was found guilty of accepting $15,000 in cash bribe in exchange for designating up to $80,000 in New York City funds to a nonprofit entity that would allow the money to be embezzled through a no-show job. Hmm. From November 12th until his arrest on April 2013, Halloran agreed with Smith, an undercover FBI agent posing as a wealthy real estate developer and a cooperating witness to bribe New York City Republican Party leaders in exchange for their authorization of Smith to appear as a Republican candidate for the New York City mayor in 2013, even though Smith was a registered Democrat. In furtherance with the scheme, Halloran arranged the undercover FBI agent and the cooperating witness to meet with Vincent Tabone, the vice chairman of the Queens County Republican Party, basically a whole bunch of party leaders. Halloran also negotiated the size of bribes that the party leaders required in order to authorize Smith to run on the Republican ballot line. And during these meetings, Tabone accepted a $25,000 cash bribe and agreed to accept another $25,000 after his committee authorized Smith to compete in the Republican primary. And the other guy, Sabone, took $15,000 with another 15000 coming after he was accepted. And in return for his efforts, Halloran accepted a 15500 as a down payment on his broker's fee of at least $75,000 and expected to be appointed first deputy mayor if Smith was elected mayor. So he also, like I said, there was bribery where he took $15,000 cash to steer $80,000 in New York City Council discretionary funding to a consulting company that didn't actually exist to do no-show work. And pretty much he gets paid $7,500, and he says, and I quote, money is what greases the wheels, good, bad, or indifferent. And he did all these things. 
Now, in Halloran's defensive testimony, because I wanted to include this, he says that he never actually intended to follow through on the plan to channel city money to FBI operatives, and that he viewed the money in the Smith scheme as a political consulting fee to set up legitimate legal retainers with Republican leaders. That, however, did not convince the judge and the jury because he ended up sentenced to 10 years in prison, plus two years of supervised release, and ordered to forfeit $45,300. His co-conspirators, Smith and Tabone, were also convicted for their roles in the bribery conspiracy. So after he's convicted, then we have... Of course. The sex scandal. Because there has to be one. He was accused of cheating on his wife with his former deputy chief of staff, who was 21 at the time, and he then engaged in a relationship with a 23-year-old intern at his office. Uh, She was allegedly present at his home when he was arrested. Those both violated city policy. No, she was present at his home. She was there. I saw pictures. Oh, okay. It's in in the notes. There are pictures. All right. Yeah, we can we can back this stuff up. And we do. Both relationships were violations of city policy, but because O'Halloran was not seeking re-election, investigation was not conducted in, into them. Basically, he because his term was going to run out before they could do an investigation, he was going to go to prison. Eh, why bother? Right, right. I don't know. One of the things that I remember that I'll just stop for a second, the Normani Field and Reich had been under the patronage of God Tyr, or Tew, if you prefer the Anglo-Saxon term. And they'd always had the Irmansul symbol as part of their badge, part of their design. And, you know, Halloran has a law enforcement background. Tyr is often considered a god of law or justice, so it fits. And if we go back to 2009, when Halloran was first running for office and his religion was getting smeared, we mentioned that he wrote a letter to the Queen's Chronicle. Now, the title of that letter, which I've just pulled up, is I Believe in God. And he writes about his family. He writes about how he was raised Roman Catholic and faith then and now was a cornerstone of my life. He doesn't mention that it's not the same faith. And he writes about his family background and his father's cancer. Oh, it does say he was accepted to Fordham, but had to drop out to work full-time to help provide for his mother and younger brothers. So we were asking earlier why he left Fordham. That appears to be why. But as he writes... You know, I took comfort in my family's history and our heritage, yet through all of this pain and hardship, I never lost faith in God. Here's the thing. This was pointed out by a couple of people at the time that Tyr's name ultimately comes from Proto-Indo-European Dios, which is or is closely related to the word for God. And in fact, one of the, in Old Norse, one of the synonyms for gods is Tivar, the tears. So Tyr is the god whose name means God, as they say. And to heathens that read this, it was painfully obvious what he was trying to do. Confuse the issue by 
arguing that, you know, since the name of Tyr means God, that he still believes in God while being cagey as to exactly what God is the God that is Godding or something like that. Sorry, it's getting kind of late. And as the steersman of the troth pointed out, this is the kind of thing that you can get away with if you're following Odin, you know, who, if there ever was a politician, it would be him. But Tyr is not the kind of god you can play these kinds of games with. And it was certainly felt at the time by many I talked to that this was basically, you know, Dan's weird working out, that if you play word games like this with a god who's associated with very high standards and with establishing justice and right action, this is going to come around and bite you. And, you know, you can interpret what happened however you want, but a number of people I talked to at the time saw it as, you know, fundamentally a spiritual failing. And if you go and look at some of the writings of the Wild Hunt at that time, people are are pretty pissed. Like, there's a lot of formal members of New Normandy who are pretty annoyed. That article, the interview, the second article where they interview and talk about him in the Village Voice talks about this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, it hurts my heart a lot that essentially the first really public heathen that we had out there like this mm-hmm. was this. This is what happened. I'm going to be very open about this. When all of this happened, I was going through a pretty hard time in my life when a lot of this happened. With I started going blind. It's back when I started going blind. And I really had trouble with heathenry at the time. There were some other internal politics going on. It was a, it was a mess at that time. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, why am I doing this? Why, why am I involved in a religion that associates these, these people? I, I really had serious crisis of faith in heathenry and a lot of other things because of a lot of this. And it really hurt a lot of people. What, what Dan did hurt a lot of people. It hurt heathenry. It hurt the pagan community in New York City. And I honestly feel like it set back other heathens that wanted to and pagans who wanted to run for public office, I feel like he really hurt. He hurt the community as a whole, in my opinion. You know that this is all going to come back the next time an open heathen runs for office anywhere. You know, somebody is going to dig up the Village Voice articles and trot this back out. Somebody's going to dig up the Village Voice articles when you somebody just wants to be a public heathen. I, I've seen it. I have seen that article thrown at a heathen going through a divorce so yeah but Halloran goes to prison and of course because it's 2020 they let him out early this year in June right the Bureau of Prisons was trying to decrease the prison population due to COVID-19 so he's a free man now and he's gone back to work as of all things a scuba instructor which he says he'd always done as a hobby And he's also said he'll be going back to graduate school to do some postdoctoral work. Postdoctoral work? That is a a direct quote from an article from him. Okay, except you can't do postdoctoral work unless you have a doctorate. And He does. He has a JD. Oh, well, that's not the same as a research doctorate. I know, but I'm assuming that's his. Okay, 
All right, he's going to go back to the last refuge of scoundrels, graduate school, and work on cultural site conservation, underwater recreation, and archaeological research. Okay. I looked at his Facebook feed in uh, preparation for this, and he's still very much an angry... He reminds me of my cousin, very much an angry conservative Republican identifying himself as of now as a political prisoner on his Facebook homepage. So he clearly feels he was unjustly set up and framed for the whole thing. And I'm sure he takes no responsibility. He also has a TikTok. <laughs> oh, I I haven't even looked. I only found it because they record the videos off TikTok and put them on his on the Dan Halloran political prisoner website. <laughs> Or the Dan Halloran Facebook. Ah, uh, good. Wait, there's an Oha Dan Halloran political prisoner website? There's a Dan Halloran political prisoner Facebook page. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Do we know if he even considers himself heathen now? Not that I could find. As far as I can tell, he is pretty laying pretty low. So who knows anymore? Right. Yeah. I know that the Norman Theude blew up in the wake of his arrest and conviction. I think there were a couple of them that tried to continue the lineage under different names. And unfortunately, I'm not really informed as to what they're doing now. But it was one of the largest and most visible Theodish groups out there. And yeah, his actions basically blew it to smithereens. So, Ben... What have we learned today? We've learned that if you are going to be a public servant and hold elected office, don't run up massive amounts of debt and then try to get out of it by taking enormous bribes. While stupping your interns. While stupping your interns, yes. Okay, yeah. Don't be that guy. Because it's always that guy. Mm-hmm, it always is. I would also like to add, we've also learned that uh, don't just let anyone join your groups. Mm -hmm. Right. The uh, first verse of the Havamal still applies. You know, before you enter into any door, look around very carefully. You never know what's waiting on the other side. And usually what's waiting on the other side is trouble. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is the very long saga of Dan Halloran. The Ballad of Dan O'Halloran. And by the way, you'll hear us say O'Halloran and Halloran pretty interchangeably. He used O'Halloran online, even though his legal name was Halloran. Yeah, I think his legal name is Halloran, but in heathen circles, he used O'Halloran a lot. I guess he thought that would confuse people. And, and that's why we called him Dano. Mm -hmm, right. So, yeah, I believe he is legally Daniel Halloran. He is Daniel J. Halloran III. Yeah, that O popped in there an awful lot. So... <laughs> If you want to know more or look at our sources, y'all, this is a two-page source. I have literally never had so many sources on an article that I, I outline I've done in my life. It is two word pages of sources. Mm -hmm. You can find all of our sources. I've got a couple I need to add to the. Oh, Lord, it's just going to be two and a half pages at this point. Yep. But, yeah, if you want to know more, uh, you can find all our sources and our social media at heathenhistory.com. We got a Facebook page where we post hints to what our next episode is going to be. And we have a Patreon. In case you want to toss us a few bucks a month to help feed the editor. 
Our show is edited by Robin Lance. Our theme music is Happy Viking by Roller Music. And for the Heathen History Podcast, I'm Lauren. And I'm Ben. Wassail, y'all. Wassail, y'all.